Welcome to Mad Lit Musings, a podcast with Jamie Jo Wright, where we go deeper and ask the tough and dangerous questions. Today's episode is sponsored by Ravel and Bethany House Publishers, which are divisions of Baker Publishing Group. Find out more at bakerpublishinggroup.com. Hey everyone, it is Jamie Jo right here, and I'm really excited today because we have with us Susie Finkbeiner, who is a really good friend of mine and a beautiful soul and a beautiful heart, and I'm really excited for you all to be introduced to her, but before I go any further and just talk your ear off, hi Susie, welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad to be here, thank you. I am so glad to have you, and um, you've written quite a few books. And we're here to talk about your new release, um, The All-American, which is in blazing red. If you're not watching this on YouTube and you're listening on a podcast, it's literally an all red cover, which is probably my favorite color. I think I think this is perhaps the best cover of 2023. And I'm not kidding when I say that. Oh, I will have to tell Laura, the designer. Do, do. And then tell her not to tell my designer because they might rub shoulders now and then. But this cover is killer red <laughs> so red like when this cover came out I was staring seriously okay I was staring at this cover for a really long time because I like to do graphic arts on the side and I'm looking at how you have one shade of red but yet you still have a very defined character on the front and it doesn't all blend in and look like just a mush of red I have no idea. I, my brain doesn't work that way. So for me, I, it just blows my mind. Yeah. How, how a designer comes up with that concept. And my friend Alexis um, said that it looks like a Netflix movie poster. Yes. And I was like, Oh, she is so right. It yeah. does. Netflix. If you're listening, hashtag Netflix at Netflix make this into a movie because this book is going to be awesome. Like I haven't, I mean, let's be honest here. It's not out when we're recording this, like this will post the day of your release, but we're recording this earlier and I haven't read it yet, but I know it's going to be one of my favorites because. Thank you. Because you think fighters one of my favorites. I'm not crying. I'm really not. No, no, but okay. So Susie. Yes. Tell us a little bit about this book, about yourself. Help us get to know you because I know you, but my readers may not know you as well as I do. Well, this book, The All-American, is set in 1952 Michigan. And most of my books are set in Michigan because it's my home state. Right. And I adore it here. And um, it's interesting because the way that this book, I got the idea for this book is that I was listening to an audiobook called The Good American Family by David Marinus. And it's about how in 1952, his dad was accused of being a communist in the Detroit Communist Party. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I was reading this like um, kind of cartoony, fun book about the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League by Annika Arak. And then I realized that the timelines matched Oh, wow. For the Red Scare and the women's baseball. And I was like, what's more American than baseball? 
And what's right. less American than communism, right? Smack together. So um, I've, I was a student athlete and I benefited from the women that played baseball because their, their years playing made it possible for me to play sports. Right. And so um, it was just so much fun to research all of these ladies playing baseball and their stories. Um, they were so fun and so spunky. And um, these women just then after they were done playing, they went home and were normal. And some of their families didn't know that they played professional baseball until they were in their attics going through boxes. And they were like, what? What? Form. For yes. real? Yes. So they were like undercover professional baseball players. Sort of. I and love it. I didn't think anybody would be interested. <laughs> I think that's awesome. It's adorable. And so they're like, so I was like, mom, no wonder you could throw things. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's so cool though, because in a way, well, it's cool and it's sad in a way to think that at that time period, you almost had to be secretive about your love of athleticism as a female because mm -hmm. you are crossing into the world of men. And now we look at it and it's so great because like you said, they they literally paved the way for women's sports. Yeah. And most of these women after some of them didn't keep it a secret, okay. but they advocated for um, female athletics um, when, when the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League ended they were, um, you know, pushing schools to have sports teams, not just women's athletic clubs. Mm -hmm. And they were proving that women um, can play basketball on a full court because it doesn't disturb their reproductive organs to run. Because <laughs> they actually thought that. For real? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, and that sweating was just so bad for women's pores. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have so many comments. I won't say. <laughs> so that they were, they were, you know, pushing for legislation. They were pushing mm -hmm. for schools to, to um, include girls in sports. And I, I'm just so grateful. And, and so a few of them that are still alive, they still are pushing for equality in sports for females. And mm -hmm. it's just so much fun that they still have a passion for that. That is really cool. I know they're adorable. Um, really cool. Yeah. And then, um, so it was fun to do that research and it was heartbreaking to do the other side of the research yeah. about people whose lives were upended because there were these accusations about them that weren't true. Um, it was, it was a crazy time. And I think so often we look at the fifties and we're like, it was so cute and adorable and everything was great. And it wasn't, it wasn't, mm -mm. um, there were a lot of problems and, yeah. and, um, I think that that's my tension in, in writing historical fiction is not to, to be like, wasn't it so great then it was great for some people, but not for others. And right. so, yeah. Right. Uh, researching this book taught me so much and it was such a delight and a heartbreak at the same time. Yeah. So do you have like a main story thread that's going through the book? Do you have like a main heroine who's a baseball player and somehow gets involved in communism or, or where are we going with this? <laughs> yeah. So um, Bertha 
the story is told from two points of view. So Bertha and Flossie Harding are sisters. Okay. Bertha's 16, Flossie's 11. And Bertha is, it starts with Bertha and Homek, and she cannot make a pie to save her life, which is- oh, I me. already love her. I love her. I don't know how to make a pie. I couldn't make but, a pie. Um, I just like push the crust in. To I don't even push the crust in. I just put pie stuff in a plate and then- yeah, I, sprinkle graham crackers on top and call it a crust. Or I buy, <laughs> I buy. Yeah. The, oh, there you go. That works. But um, so Bertha wants to play baseball, and she plays with the guys in her neighborhood, and you know, her, eventually she wants to uh, like go to tryouts for the Workington Sweet Peas, which is a fictionalized All American Girl baseball team, and. Flossie is her little sister. Flossie's kind of just a nerd. She's in love with Gilbert Blythe. She she realizes that she's um, Amy March and it makes her mad. Um, and <laughs> so she's she's awkward. She has a lot of um, social issues. But um, their father is a novelist and he is accused. He's one that is named in the okay. hearing by a neighbor. And so they have to relocate and that hmm. um, kind of pushes Bertha into going and trying out for the sweet peas right then. Okay. okay. So that's how it starts. Wow. You know, I think it's interesting when we look at history, um, like you were saying earlier, with the 1950s, you're coming out of post-World War II. So that was a whole other dynamic. But because of that i think our mindset as americans now have this feeling that it was such a patriotic time within the united mm -hmm. states and i don't know that we're very aware of the huge cold war that was looming yes yes i mean we at that time we were even in vietnam already right um like trying to to keep the communists contained mm -hmm. um and and it was it was it's it's heartbreaking to think of of how um a lot of the actions at that time were based off of fear yeah um and and so that's that's really what was the whole red scare was that there were people who were terrifying the populace to mm -hmm. say if your neighbor is is subversive if they question the government if they have thoughts that are different than this little box then they're bad and they're yeah. going to corrupt your children and they're and, and these people are in the schools these people are in the churches these people are in your workplace and they were really like building up this hysteria yeah and and so as i was researching and writing this i was like history sure does echo <laughs> Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and um here I was reading about all of these people that were banning books then mm. as a library in my my community was being shut down by by some of the patrons because wow. of the same things. And yeah. I'm like, oh boy. Yeah, it is crazy. And you know, history is very circular. And it's funny too, because even as you're saying that, you know, they're they're trying to in the 1950s do away with any potential communistic influence of speaking out against the government, et cetera, which in and of itself 
it's sort of communistic when you think about it it's like don't talk don't say this don't do that it's like wait what this is that's interesting it's an right. interesting thought it was it was i think that when we are motivated by fear in anything mm-hmm any arena of our lives, right. then we're going to go to an extreme. Yeah, uh, It's really hard to be moderate and rational when mm-hmm. we are living our lives based on what is scaring us. Yeah, And I think that that is, that is when we, as, as people who follow Christ, mm-hmm. need to remember all of the times we are encouraged, don't fear, don't be afraid. You have this security. You have, you have this assurance and you have all of the good promises of God that he has never gone back on. Um, And so I think as Christians, we really need to be that kind of leveling force of, all right, we're going to be rational here. We are going to be calm and to, to breathe and not be noisy, but listen and try to try to ask the Holy Spirit to to keep us sane in this. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So how did um do you touch on that in the All American as far as sort of the Christian response at the time in the 1950s? Not really. Okay. No. There that was um because the Christian response was very fearful. Okay. Well, no, that's interesting. You know, it's, it's part of history and it's, it's something that I was curious about. Yeah. 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 Very um, isolationist type Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. 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 So we have a heroine who's interested in baseball. We have her father who's accused basically of being a communist or having communistic leanings. Yes. Okay. So how do you play that out in a story then, as far as what's the impetus and the thrust of the story? It's, you know, because he's high profile, um, they have to, they can't just stay in their community. They have to go to a community that's not as um, literary minded, maybe, um, where they can just go be. Mm -hmm. And, um, And as an author, I felt very close to the father. His name is Will. And just the the whole like fear of saying something wrong and having your career end. <laughs> um, sure. And so it's just them them relocating, and I really played off of um, as you like it from Shakespeare, where where they have to flee into the into the forest of Arden for safety, and then they realize that it's not any safer; mm-hmm. it's just different. Right. Um, and so it was kind of like that going into like this wooded community and realizing that there are still dangers, um, but we still have to, um, there's a really amazing speech in As You Like It, where um, he talks about how how we, even though there there's a toad that's ugly, he still has this precious jewel in his head. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think that that's like this weird it's a whole English nerd thing, but like, if you look at a toad's eyes, they're beautiful. Right. Um, so there's good there, even though toads don't hate me. Toads are kind of ugly. They're ugly, cute, but they are. they're not, they're not something you curl up on the couch with to watch a television show at night. Most people don't, no. but, <laughs> but, um, but in the speech, um, 
he even says there's good in everything and I would not change it. Mm. Um, and so there's this, this idea of finding the good mm-hmm. and finding the things you would not change about right. your life, even right. though there are things you would like to change. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that transfers too into some of what we're talking about, even with life issues and the things that are going on in the world around us and um, finding the good, even in our differences, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's one of those things where like, you're talking about your main character afraid to speak for fear. He's going to be silenced um, and being sort of in the limelight. And we live in a quote, cancel unquote culture where it's so much of, I don't agree with you. Therefore I'm going to cut toxicity out of my life mm-hmm. versus let's have some good open dialogue about why we may not agree or may not see eye to eye so that we can not necessarily end up in agreement, but at least learn from each other. Well, and I do think that if we were to have that kind of open conversation and reasonable conversation, Mm -hmm. I think that we would wind up realizing our motivations are the same. Yes. Motivations are to allow people to have good lives Mm -hmm. and to be safe and to be cared for. And, um, and if we're Christians, people to, to know that they are deeply loved and cherished and valuable. Right. Um, but we just sometimes have different ways of going about it. Right. We have different ways of speaking about it, of acting on it. But I really think that, that if we could listen, mm-hmm. we would realize, oh, we're not as different as we think we are. Right. But it, that it's that it's hard to stop it is yeah giving our opinions and um yeah Yeah. but I think so much of it too is that delicate line that we walk between convictions and the fear that you know what we believe is being threatened Mm -hmm. or challenged versus understanding that you can have convictions while listening and learning and discussing and talking. And I think that's where, you know, now I'm on my soapbox here, but I feel like that's where as a culture, you know, back in the 1950s where your book is taking place and every period of history really that you look at, it's like we haven't quite learned that yet in humanity of we can have strong convictions and yet we can listen to each other. And we can discuss those and still walk away with our strong convictions, but have relationships that are Mm -hmm. stretching. And like you said, couched and coated in a love and a grace. And that's something as Christians is so critical to be able to communicate to a culture today. I agree. And, um, and I think that it just, as we look through history and we see all the times that we've gotten it wrong, mm-hmm. um, we can also see the times that, that God made it good. O- anyway, like right. um, God fixed it for us. Right. Um, and how we've grown through it. And, um, and we sure need Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that a universal truth? <laughs> and I, I think that the older I get, cause I'm a certain age now. And I'm really proud of it. I'm 45 and Embrace I it. 
There I love go. it. Yep. Um, the older I get, the more okay I am with saying, I have no idea. Right. I don't. Um, and that that doesn't destroy who I am. It doesn't diminish my intelligence. It mm -hmm. doesn't um, mean that I have less faith than someone else. It just means that I don't know. And that's all right. right. Because it's, a, it's good. It's good to keep on searching and learning and trying to figure it out and admitting that I'm um I'm a worm of a girl and I need help. <laughs> <laughs> we can be worms together, Susie. I, I relate to you in that. <laughs> good. Let's just hope that if it rains and we end up on the sidewalk, someone picks us up and <laughs> before the sun comes out and dries us to a crisp. And the robins come. <laughs> You know, everybody who's listened to this podcast and goes outside now are going to look at all, all their sidewalks and be like, oh, there's Susie, there's Jamie, they're crispy. <laughs> Save them. Save, Save our worms. <laughs> are you enjoying today's broadcast with our featured author? You can find out more about them and other authors from Baker Publishing Group at bakerbookhouse.com. Use code MADLIT40 for 40% off any one Baker Publishing Group title at bakerbookhouse.com. This also includes Ravel and Bethany House Publishing. Go over fast. It's MADLIT40. That's your magic code for 40% off any one Baker Publishing Group title. Wow, well, this really digressed from 1952 and communism and all-American baseball, but... <laughs> it always does when I'm alone. Oh, same here. I can, you know, it's, I love having these kind of conversations because one, I think they're important, but two, there is so much story behind the story that authors write. And we can sit here and talk about, you know, Bertha and Flossie and your characters. And when readers read them, they're going to learn about them. Um, but I love getting to the heart behind the author and, and what they're learning in their research or their faith or the times that they're studying, especially with historical authors like yourself. And you're tackling in your books, just so readers know, you're not the typical historical time period author that likes the Gilded Age or the Regency. You've you've tackled some of the more current contemporary decades. Yeah, I really, I am very in love with mid 20th century. Mm -hmm. um, that I think that um, part of that is that I am, I'm digging, trying to understand my grandparents mm. and my parents. Sure. Um, and and I really, I, I enjoy it because there are places I can go in my community that still look like they did. Yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, for instance, um, over the weekend, my kids were invited to a bowling birthday party. Okay. And I walked in and this bowling alley was built in 1953 and they have preserved as much oh, of it. I love that. Can. And they've like kept the cutesy like retro paint on the wall and like they've restored so much and they've done such good work at keeping this place just you know kitschy 1950s mm -hmm. and I walk into a place like that and I'm like oh and then my my friend Christy said you should use this in in a book and I was like yep yep, yep. it's happening so I'm like taking pictures of it but 
I feel like that history is so close when I'm looking at it in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Right. Right. And people are still alive who want to talk about it. <laughs> very much so. Very much so. And who it touches really emotionally. There was, um, and I'm, I'm really sorry because I can't remember the title, but one of the books that you wrote was set during the Vietnam era where they were getting letters from um, one of the soldiers that had gone over. Which book was that? All Manner of Things. Yes. All Manner of Things. And it was interesting because I, I read it and just completely devoured it from the perspective of a daughter whose father had been in the Vietnam War. And, you know, he'd been stationed overseas and has his own story, which I won't go into. But um, I grabbed the book. and I thought, oh, my dad has to read this. Right. So I gave it to my dad. And I, said, I think you're really going to enjoy this because I'm looking at it through the eyes of somebody who's reading about history. So my dad read your book and he calls me. He goes, why did you do that to me? And I'm like, what? And he goes, wow. He's like, it was so it was well written. He really liked the book. But it was one of those books that he said was really hard for him to get through because I was looking at it through the eyes of somebody reading history. He was reading it through the eyes of somebody who had literally walked every step of those journeys in different ways. And it was bringing back real life memories to him. Yeah, I, I've i had a lot of boomer readers. Mm-hmm. It really and I that is more a testimony to the people who allowed me into their lives to hear their stories. Um, Carl Rewa is, he lives locally and he, he served in Vietnam and yeah. he came back and he was not okay. Yeah. Um, but the Lord helped him be, become okay. <laughs> Good. As a ministry for men who are coming back from war zones and mm-hmm. um, helps them to get back to life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's amazing. And he was so open about everything. That's awesome. my, my dad wrote his memoir of his time serving in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend, Bruce, told me all of his, his experiences of being stateside during that time. So mm-hmm. um, I just, I appreciate that generation when they are eager yeah. to share their stories. Right, right. And they're all stories that we need to hear and perspectives we need to hear. Cause you hear like of the gentleman that you mentioned who comes back and, and struggles with that post-war trauma. And then you have somebody like my dad who got his papers to go to the Vietnam front lines. And at the last minute it was changed and they shipped him to Thailand where he was in charge of shipments over to Vietnam. And ever since then, for my entire life, my dad has had survivor's guilt. I don't think he knows it. I don't think he would identify it as that, but even, you know, when he was awarded um, some recompense from the government for Agent Orange and things like that, he was like, why are they, why? I didn't do, I didn't do anything, you know? And so it's those things where it's like, these stories need to be told. And it's like this new generation coming up of history that to us was our parents, but to our new generations is history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and and I think with Vietnam, it was such a touchy conversation and it still is. Yeah. Um, but these guys were not honored the way that they should have been. No. And, um, and I'm glad that they, they are getting that more and more. Right. As we are realizing they didn't have a choice. They were babies. They were babies. Yeah. 
and they were sent. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's been fun. I shouldn't say fun. I use the worst words. You're good. But it's been good to see even in some of the magazines my dad gets from the VA and different things like that, how the government is starting to really recognize the heroes of the fifties, sixties and seventies. Of course, there's more present day heroes too, but just in those three decades there with the Korean and the Vietnam Wars Mm -hmm. and this whole time period that you're covering in the All-American, there were so many dynamics, but it was almost the untalked about time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Definitely silent generation type stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. So Susie, you are making it not as silent in the All-American. So from the daughter of a Vietnam vet and um, the daughter of people who fought in World War II um, and lived through the 50s and everything. Um, It's appreciated. Thank you. It's appreciated. So keep writing. And for those of you who are readers out there, you're going to want to check out The All-American. It is on shelves July 9th, 11th, 11th. Yes. And Susie has a backlist. As you can tell, we've been talking about some of her other books, All Manner of Things. And um, there's one with a bird on the front. See, I can remember covers. I don't remember titles. That one is um, The Nature of Small Birds. Yes, The Nature of Small Birds. And then there's more. So go check out Susie. (laughs) And Susie, how do readers find you to check out you and your books? I am a book nerd on Instagram. So just Susie underscore Finkbeiner. And you can see books I'm reading, silly selfies, pictures of my cat. This is perfect. Yeah. I mean, I think our cats could be friends if, well, maybe your cat would be into it. But, um, and then they can find me on Facebook. Really, that's a really good place. Or SusieFinkbeiner.com. Good luck spelling that Finkbeiner. I was just going to say, I think, let me see if I can do it. It's F-I-N-K-B-E-I-N-E-R. You did, did it. I do it right? You did. I'm amazed. I love it. I love it. My maiden name was Riggs. Okay. And when I met Jeff Finkbeiner, I was like, he is really cute, but that name. <laughs> Like that poor girl. Mary and you still Taylor. adopted his name. How sweet of that was you. How sweet of that was you. Because I can speak grammar really well. Obviously, you write romance. <laughs> oh, I do. I write so much mortifying romance. Pepper Basham and I have a little bit of a, a gothic romantic war going on on social media, but... Follow that because it's hilarious. (laughs) Well, and follow Susie because Susie is super fun to follow and she's got a great heart. And I think you all will be really blessed if you have not picked up one of her books. Do it. I have commanded thee, go forth and buy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Susie, for being on Mad Lit Musings. I really am glad that you were here. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a, a great space and I've been encouraged by the other authors I've listened to on here. Awesome. Well, we'll have you back. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Madlit Musings. You can find out more information about Madlit and all that it has to offer at madlitmentoring.com. That's madlitmentoring.com. Or check out more about Jamie Jo Wright at jamiewrightbooks.com. 
www.thepurposeofyou.com.